so they said look how about we teach you to code in your lunch hour um and i thought okay you know i've always thought maybe i wasn't suited to it because i didn't do a lot of stem subjects at a level and, yeah. and degree but actually i was pretty good at them at school and i did languages uh, mostly for my study and i was learning a language it was just a coding mm. language and i realized this was actually a lot easier than i thought and i what? couldn't understand why it had this kind of cachet that no one else could do yeah, it yeah. you had to be a certain type of person you pretty much had to have a maths background you had to be a man you had, you had to be a certain type and i just thought this is nonsense and it makes the world go round and for every career i could imagine my kids getting into there was me sitting in journalism needing to know it um i wanted them to have this literacy in coding mm. so really mm. as a mum i started looking into it and saw there was this gap in the market Welcome to Push To Be More with me, your host, Matt Edmondson. This is a show that talks about the stuff that just makes life work. And to help us do just that, I am chatting with today's guest, Leanne Katz from Mama Codes, about where she has had to push through, what she does to recharge her batteries, and what more looks like. The show notes and transcript from our conversation will be available on the website, pushtobemore.com. Uh, on our website, you can also sign up for our newsletter and each week we will email you the links and the notes from the conversations. They get delivered automatically direct to your inbox, totally free. So make sure you head over to pushtobemore.com and sign up for that. Now, you are listening to this episode thanks to Orion Media. They're the experts who help busy entrepreneurs and leaders like us start their own successful podcasts. Oh, yes. You know what? Starting this podcast, I have four now. I have four podcasts. And let me tell you, they're the best things I do uh, in business. They open doors to a whole new world filled with fantastic people, inspiring stories, and opportunities to really connect with people from around the world, with my customers, my team, my suppliers. And you know what? I honestly think anyone with a passion or a business should consider hosting their own podcast because of the difference it can really make to what's going on. But of course, there's always a but, isn't there? Uh, it's not always plain sailing, getting everything set up, dealing with the tech, working out the best approach. They can all be headaches. And that's where Orient Media comes in. They're like my backstage crew, handling all the bits and pieces that make the podcast work so I can just focus on having great conversations. So if you're wondering whether a podcast could help you reach uh, more people with your business, well, give them a shout. Orionmedia.com is their URL, A-U-R-I-O-N media.com. Give them a shout. I think you'll enjoy it. Now, that's the show sponsor. Let's talk about the show's amazing guest. Oh, yes. Now, Leanne Katz is a champion of digital literacy and diversity intact. From her humble beginnings as a journalist, she embraced the world of coding and technology, leading to a remarkable career spanning 20 years in digital media. After a transformative stint of 12 years at The Guardian, Leanne took what can only be described as a huge leap of faith, left her corporate role, and ventured into the world of entrepreneurship. She co-founded Mama Codes, an innovative coding school for children, age three through 11, designed to empower the next generation with crucial coding skills. I feel like I should probably sign up myself. Now, Mama Codes has taught over 5,000 kids to code, and it's on a mission to widen its impact, all under 
Leanne's just joy and zest for life. And so as she guides the business into its exciting future, uh, she's a passionate advocate uh, for diversity in tech, remains committed to creating a world where every child, regardless of their circumstance, has access to coding education, which I feel is a massive mission. Leanne, great to have you. Thanks for joining us. Uh, that's quite an impressive bio. I enjoyed reading it. <laughs> I enjoyed listening. Thank you so much for inviting me on. <laughs> no problem at all. It's great to have you here. And uh, thanks, for, thanks for joining us. And uh, just a bit where, as we kickstart the conversation, whereabouts in the world are you? I am in Brixton in South London in the UK. So let me start out, Leanne, with that opening question that I like to ask everybody. Now, you're actually starting a podcast, aren't you? This is um, something that you are quietly, secretly doing. It's not yet out. There. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Which, is, which is awesome. And so this show is sponsored by Ori Media, um, which helps folks podcast. I like to ask this question. Now, you have your podcast. It's coming out. And if you on that podcast could interview anybody from the past or the present that's had a massive impact on your life, who would you interview and why? That's actually quite an easy question to answer. Um, oh, okay. There's this incredible woman. Uh, she likes to go by a man's name, um, which I'll explain in a minute. But her real name is Dame Stephanie Shirley, and um, she uh, likes to go by the name Steve. And the reason for that is because back in the 1960s, when she was setting up her business, hugely inspiring business, um, yeah. she wrote letters, biz dev letters, and she didn't get any answers with her name. So she just put Steve and saw if she would get more answers with a man's name than she did. So no. it stuck. And back in the 60s, who could imagine it? Uh, this was an era where she herself and many other women uh, were asked to leave the workforce when they got married, let alone had children. Mm. And she was a super brain, was so advanced in maths in her secondary school that she was moved to a boys' school so she could do more maths. And then she went into early days of computing. Mm. Um, I think it was the post office she worked for. So she had this incredible career ahead of her. But when she got married, you know, the done thing was to step, step down. Wow. So she thought, well, this isn't good enough. I'm going to scoop up all that wonderful talent sitting at home in suburban homes all around, the, you know, the country and create a freelance programmers um, company. It was called Freelance Programmers, staffed by women, mostly mums, working from home. Wow. Now, you might see some parallels with my business. Yeah, I'm, fact, I'm starting to um, see the connection. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Steve Shirley was mentioned at the kind of co-founding conversation that I had with them. Um, my earliest business partner, um, who said, have you, heard, have you heard of this lady, Steve uh, um, um, Shirley? And she's absolutely amazing. And she set up this business and go and look at it. And uh, added to that, she was a kinder transport refugee who didn't speak a word of English at age five when she arrived with her sister. So there's an incredible story and there's a wonderful mm. autobiography by her um, called Let It Go, but the it is kind of IT. Hopefully going to be a film soon as well. She's the most oh, well. wonderful speaker. I'm a bit of a fan. I'm a bit of a groupie. Um, so follow her on Instagram um, and you'll just never regret it. She's just incredibly inspiring. So I would love to have her on my podcast. Okay. And do you, have, you, have you actually met her? Have you connected with her? I have. been to quite a few of her talks um, mm. and I was very fortunate enough to speak to her afterwards and hear about her work with, um, she, she's actually, she set up the Oxford Institute of the Internet. She set up Autistica, the charity that does uh, research into autism because her son um, had autism. She's a philanthropist now. She managed to grow her business um, with this wonderful stories in the, in the autobiography, which I urge everyone to read, um, and then sold it. Uh, she 
gave her employees and her team lots of uh, equity in the business. So she actually made mm. several of them millionaires when she sold it. And now she actually dedicates herself to philanthropy. Um, absolutely incredible individual. So I'd love to ask her some of the pressing questions of the day. Wow. That's, that's an incredible story, isn't it? And, and I mean, the I mean, I'm of a certain age, Leanne, I have to be honest with you, where the 60s doesn't feel that long ago. I was born in the 70s. Um, and so it's not like it was that far removed from my life, yeah. really. And, but um, another world for bus women yeah. in business at the time. Yeah, She couldn't I mean, get a bank account without a man uh, no. with her signing for her. My mum's told me that story too. She was a businesswoman in the 70s and um, couldn't get a bank account without a man. That's crazy. So what was the business your mum did? Well, she had a few different things, but um, kitchen design was one of them. Um, but my parents were both entrepreneurial, which I think has definitely shown me that that is a mm. normal thing to try and try your hand at. I think a lot of my friends who work in more corporate careers or civil service, sort of steady jobs uh, with more security, uh, sort of they get palpitations when they think about doing something like yeah, what I've done. Yeah. Whereas for me, it's just kind of bread and butter. We were always helping mm. our parents out on the kitchen table, you know, filling envelopes or bags or whatever it was. And mm. um, I could see the fulfillment and the flexibility that they had. And I, I mm. think that, that really inspired me after quite a corporate phase in my, in my journalism Career, yeah, I was going to say because you were, take you were twelve years with the Guardian, weren't you? And, and yeah, um, yeah. so you didn't start out, or maybe you did start out in the entrepreneurial field, and then you went into corporate. But it seems like the first part of your career was corporate, and then you then you took the leap. What what triggered that? Because I imagine it was quite. I don't maybe I'm maybe I'm imagining this wrong, Leanne, but I imagine it was quite fun working uh, at the Guardian. Oh, it was fantastic! It was an amazing place to work, and, I, and I'm still good friends with many of the people that I met there. Um. I suppose that you, you grow through your career, don't you? And you, and you look mm. for different things and you look for different opportunities. And I'd, I'd been there through quite a, a, a lot of change. I'd done lots of different things. I'd, I'd been a travel editor. I'd worked on the politics desk. I'd done actually quite a lot of the first podcasts and a multimedia production. I loved that. Spoke to people in war zones. It was incredible. Mm. And then I had children and um, I was the travel editor who could send herself anywhere. But I had this baby and it was re actually really stressful. So I thought someone else can have a crack at that. I'm going to give up this peachy role to the next person and look for something more project-based. I mean, you can't okay. hang on to that job if you don't want to travel all the time. Um, that would be a crime, right? Um, uh, so possibly. I, I, I don't something. know. <laughs> <It's>, uh, <laughs> I, I part of me would be like, I want to give it a go. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, I did. I did do it for a while. And then, and mm. then yeah, I, I took my daughter to a couple of sort of coastal B&B reviews on the South Coast and thought, yeah, I really ought to be getting a bit further afield. Um, <laughs> so I moved sideways and it was actually, I mean, it was quite painful at the time because obviously you'd, you'd worked all your um, previous mm. years to, to reach that, that kind of job. But um, I wanted something that didn't, you know, follow the daily news agenda. That was quite stressful. Trying to work part-time, trying to come back into that after a few days out. And I thought, there's all this stuff going on in the basement. I've heard there's an interesting project down there. They're kind of building a new website. At that time, it was the first time it was uh, it optimized for a mobile phone screen. I know that right. sounds like really weird, but back in only about twelve back years in the ago, day, yeah, not that far, wasn't yeah. that, that wasn't the default. And um, there was a, a basement of sixty five developers cooking something up down there, and and I, and I was seconded as a sort of journalist media person to go and sit down there and, and make sure it looked and felt like the Guardian. And it was really fascinating. It was a complete culture change. Um, it, can you imagine 65 developers? How many do you think were women? Even somewhere at like The Guardian looking to find. Oh, I can't imagine talent. hardly any of them were. One. 
Wow, oh, <laughs> it's one woman and 64 men. And I thought, what is going on here? Mm. And it was a complete culture change. Everyone in the editorial bit was flamboyantly dressed, mostly female, very extrovert, very chatty, very sweary, and, and really fun. And everyone in the basement was kind of very introvert, death metal t-shirts everywhere. Yeah. Really strange yeah. jokes. Typical coder. Yeah. And I just thought, wow. Um, why why is this like oil and water? Why are you guys not more integrated? Why why can't there be more yeah. movement between the two and the collaboration? So I was kind of like the diplomat there. Anyway, long story short, um, we realized as non-coders that the developers held all the keys to the future mm. of the business and we needed to understand their work better. We needed to understand it to be able to commission it more effectively and um, we were spending huge amounts of money. And so they said, look, how about we teach you to code? in your lunch hour um and i thought okay you know i've always thought maybe i wasn't suited to it because i didn't do a lot of stem subjects at a level and, yeah. and degree but actually i was pretty good at them at school and i did languages uh, mostly for my study and i was learning a language it was just a coding mm. language and i realized this was actually a lot easier than i thought and i what? couldn't understand why it had this kind of cachet that no one else could do yeah, it yeah. you had to be a certain type of person, you pretty much had to have a maths background, you had to be a man, you had to be a certain type. And I just thought this is nonsense and it makes the world go round. And for every career I could imagine my kids getting into, there was me sitting in journalism needing to know it. Um, I wanted them to have this literacy in coding. Mm. So really mm. as a mum, I started looking into it and saw there was this gap in the market. So there were lots of redundancy rounds and I sort of ignored the first few and I thought, actually, I really want to just have a new chapter and this will allow me wow. a bit of a cushion of, of security to have that money. I've been there quite a long time. And so the first thing I did was I left and I actually launched my own consultancy. So that was a bit safer. Like I, I was yeah. selling what I already knew. <laughs> Anyone who's done a startup or started a business will know that it involves learning a huge amount of stuff you don't know. It can be quite uncomfortable and exhausting, right? So yeah. I had this consultancy, I had a bit of money coming in, I got some good clients. And then on the side, I had a bit of time to kind of tinker with other things and that's when mm. i had this conversation about stephanie shirley and um, started to really get involved in testing out this idea that there was a different way we could engage young people and children mm. and families actually the adults around them in understanding what coding was putting aside yeah. their preconceptions and their fears about it because you know sort of, even now but particularly back then sort of six seven years ago talking to parents about what why their kids should get on a screen and do more coding was quite hard work they yeah. were very opposed to it. They were sort of gatekeeping and very worried about screen time. And here were these mums, not, not trained teachers, not trained coders, trying to say, we've got another way, you should try it. So mm. really, the only way we got through that was to invite them over to our homes with iPads and get them coding themselves, the wow. parents. Hooked them up to the telly, gave them a glass of wine or a coffee, depending on the time of day, <laughs> and they loved it. And it was wow. just that experience of, this is what it actually is like. Mm. and myth busting and really that's kind of how i knew that there was a bit of a, a, a demand for this because if those parents would turn up and learn they were keen mm. but clueless isn't it, in their own words about keen coding for their kids so i feel the... throughout most of my life to be fair keen but <laughs> yeah. Clueless. yeah as long as we know we are right <laughs> that's fine <laughs> so they started tripping me up in the street um on the mm. way to school and asking me for more of that but for their mm. kids and if i went home i felt so cool i could tell my kid i'd done this thing we coded jokes right so it was quite funny we got them coding little uh, knock knock jokes okay and they went home and they and they showed their kid and it was like who thought coding could be like this well if it's like that then i'm all for it and they all signed up mm. in droves to our pilot classes and then from there i felt confident kind of jumping in with two feet really running it full time so it kind of went mm. from side hustle to 
to what I'm business. doing now. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, it sounds like a fascinating uh, journey. And it's interesting. I always find it fascinating with entrepreneurs when you talk to them, Leanne, that they they start doing something and they see a need and there's lots of little pivots along the way. Uh, and they sort of end up in these really unique places where they never, ever thought that they would be like, you know, if you asked me 10 years ago, or maybe 15 years ago, would I be where I am now? I, I could never have predicted that. And that, that for me is all part of the fun of it all, isn't it? Is this journey that Absolutely. you go on. But I'm kind of curious. And it because... feels to me that it's almost more right than ever before. It's taking little pieces of my experience and my skills mm. and my interests from all around my career and, and before that, and just interests that I've always had. I've always yeah. loved young children. I've always loved teaching them, even though I wasn't trained. This job has allowed me to jump into primary schools and just teach and do just holiday camps and, and be really silly and, you mm. know, to really go for it. So, yeah, I, I, I realized quite quickly once I'd made that leap that this just felt more right than anything I'd ever done before, even if I was on mm. a massive learning curve. It's an interesting phrase, isn't it? It felt more right in the sense that um, listening to you talk, all these, all these little bits of stuff that you've learned along the way has sort of been almost like destined oh you you learn this stuff on the way and here you are now you're right for this sort of this this part of your life um and so it feels more right looking back then to your younger self or if you had a conversation with your younger self did you did you feel that sense of it it didn't feel right earlier on in your career or it felt right but this just feels even more right it's just getting better and better I think with any any role, um, you know, whether you're an employee, a founder, a CEO, um, there are lots of things you enjoy in your in your job and some that you really don't. And it's about that balance, isn't it? When things are mm. tilted one way, then you think, well, I'm on my way to somewhere. I'm looking for a promotion. I'm looking for the next thing. This this job will give me access to that, or this job will teach me these skills. But I think nothing really, for me, nothing really compares to being your own boss. You have ultimate mm. flexibility. I think when I made the leap from uh, that sort of corporate, fixed, timetabled, office-based job into running my own consultancy, I had two tiny kids then. You know, my daughter, my son was two, mm. my daughter was five. And I actually said to some of the clients I was pitching for work from, um, I have another project on a Friday. I'm not available on a Friday. And I didn't tell them that was my son. <laughs> I just said I'm just, just not available. <laughs> so it sort of gives you a bit of a respect for your own time that mm. I think I didn't have mm. as an employee. I just, I was mm. just, you know, that mm. sort of on the hamster wheel. And I loved it for a time. And then I sort of stopped loving it. And I think that's when you know you need a new challenge. You need to move, yeah, yeah, need to move on. So now it feels more right. Um, that's interesting. And so it sounds, listening to you talk, uh, almost idyllic, like the stars aligned along you know, this, this beautifully carved path, but knowing a bit of the backstory again, that's not exactly true. There were some challenges you faced along the way, right? It's not all been sunshine and rainbows. Absolutely. I mean, entrepreneurship is a roller coaster. no two ways about it. And, um, you know, I think you have to hold on to the, to the, um, highlights, uh, mm. to give yourself the energy to get through the tougher times. And there's certainly yeah. been many of those, um, I suppose even from the outset, having the confidence that I could get into this, I could play mm. in this space as yeah. a non-teacher, as a non-coder by training. I, I, all the all the sort of early adopter parents near me were sort of asking me, so, so what is your background? And I kind of had to have a good answer because really 
I'm one of you and, I, and I've got really into it and I'm about two months ahead of you on the learning curve. Wasn't really going to cut yes. it. <laughs> um, <laughs> there was a journey to believe in, my, in myself. And I remember going mm. to the Bet Show, the EdTech Show, the biggest EdTech show in, in Europe, um, yeah. if not the world, I think, at Excel, uh, just finding out who else was there. And just my mission was to understand, can I play in this space? Will mm. I be taken seriously? And I put my hand up in lots of seminars and teachers came flocking over with their pencils and their paper saying, please give me your number. We need your, we need your materials. We need you to, to train us in this coding business. Cause it got added to the curriculum in 2014. Um, but with very little guidance for teachers, right. so kind of a couple of paragraphs and no consistent training, very, very little material. So if your ICT coordinator was passionate about teaching coding, had some knowledge, then fantastic. But so many were given that job that you were given literacy coordinator. Mm. And they didn't have that support. So there was a huge need. And I thought, I'm just going to, I'm just going to turn up with this crazy brand name Mama Codes and, and it'll stop them in their tracks, at least to ask me, why are you called that? And who's it for? Funnily enough, there's a lot of teachers who are parents as well. So yeah. they were interested for their own children. And actually, we got loads of interest. Um, so that was, I guess, the first challenge was sort of confidence, you know, building mm. that up. And, and, and it's something I still struggle with. I really have to work at it. I have to, I have a great coach. I do affirmations when I'm going into a difficult meeting. I really have to sort of, I, I wear a particular jacket that gives me quite a lot of confidence. Um, and I think that that really takes, that, that confidence ja barrier really hits a lot of female founders I know. Mm. And I find a lot of support from networks of female founders. There's a wonderful one called Hive Founders that I'm part of. It's free and Hive. fantastic. Yep. Um, and I've just I've formed some fantastic partnerships and friendships through that. Everyone's much more sensitive to those particular challenges, the extra layer of challenge that ev any entrepreneur yeah. faces finding suppliers or investors mm. or um, marketing people. But somehow there's just this extra layer particularly when it comes to fundraising whether it's lack of experience lack of confidence particular questions and assumptions that investors make asking around you know are oh, you about to disappear on maternity leave and things like yeah, this it still happens yeah, yeah. um and you know traditionally you know there are just more men in those kind of financial mm. background roles who then could go into a fundraise more confidently. And I've literally had to go and learn a lot of skills and do a lot of mm. training and reading to, to feel as confident. So, I mean, I remember pitching to a room of sort of 20 something childless men and then just literally glazing over. They had no idea what my product did, oh. no un understanding of why it was useful, but then getting into the room where it, you know, people did see the potential. It's really yeah. going to change the whole future of work. Um, yeah. And people who care about social impact, people who care about inclusion. Yeah whole different story so i guess you know Sometimes, the confidence yeah, some... the fundraising that those are the, the areas so the it's interesting i'm listening to you talk about that so you here you are a few months beyond everybody else in your journey it, it i find it fascinating that you you wear a certain type of jacket when you go in certain meetings and, and and it's funny how as humans we find these things which which just work for us right and you can't explain it you don't know why um, but there are the things that we do to help ourselves um, and to feel, I, I remember having a conversation with my daughter, she's 16, she's just doing a GCSEs, actually, uh, has an exam Good even luck. as we're, as we're talking, <laughs> yeah, yeah, God bless Ooh. you because <laughs> I, just, I didn't enjoy those days. Um, and so I remember talking with her a couple of weeks ago and she said to me something quite profound. She said, dad, I've, I've kind of come to the conclusion, uh, watching you work that you don't really know a whole great deal. Uh, but you just sound really confident when you talk. 
And I said, I said, you, are, I think you have discovered the secret. Uh, I said, it's a lot like, um, I, I heard the analogy somewhere. I can't remember where it was. I think it was in a movie. Um, the replacements with Gene Hackman. That's where the movie said, right. you know, a lot of, uh, you're, you're, um, you're like a duck on the water, you know, that everything above the surface just seems calm, but underneath your feet are pedaling at a thousand miles an hour. Yes. Yes. And, um, I that said was a skill my, I, I, yeah, I, I can relate to. Yeah, 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 totally. And it's, it, I thought it was interesting that my daughter at 16 has figured this out because it, it took me years to sort of understand there's going to be this constant tension as an entrepreneur be, between feeling constantly inadequate, but also being strong enough and confident enough to inspire the team around you and in the customer in front of you that you can do what you can do, right? I don't know if you found that. Yeah, I, I can really relate to that. So what you were saying about, you know, that kind of, um, that sort of serene bird on the water and then the sort of flapping and uh, paddling feet underneath, it's definitely how a lot of my journey has felt. And um, occasionally it hadn't been all that serene on the, on the surface either. Mm. Um, I guess one other really big challenge I've had to face personally was that we ha I had a, a very traumatic and very sudden bereavement a few years mm. ago massively shocking thing and it was actually a, a crime uh, there was a criminal aspect to it as well so just navigating that personally and also wow. to, to try and sort of help my kids who were quite small get through it mm. was really difficult and I was my business was quite young my kids were quite young there was this thing actually really messing with my well-being and I was I always had this um uh you know everyone knew that knew me as the one who could cope I had this kind of persona as the coper, mm. implacable, mm. Um, give her the hard stuff. She's the fixer. She'll, she'll sort this all out. But actually, I just couldn't cope. And it took me a little yeah. while to realize that and get some help. And I, I was very anxious about being vulnerable with my team, with my investors. I thought this was something I just had to hide and bury. And I think a lot of people still feel like that. So I guess I wanted to mention it because I have got through it. And um, mm. it's really important to, to recognize that if your well-being isn't right in front and center as an entrepreneur mm. it's going to come and bite you at some point because yeah. it is just so tiring i mean it's absolutely wonderful as you say i'm painting the rosy picture here it's all been the stars aligned and it's all much better now but it's incredibly challenging i, I lose more sleep for sure as a as a founder of my own business than i was as an employee yeah. um you know the buck stops with me I, I worry about every individual of my team um both about them and will they leave and how mm. will I how will I navigate this challenge that's coming down the road? I've got three challenges in the same day. How do I deal with that? Um, you know, it is it is lonely at the top. I'm very, very fortunate to have a wonderful co-founder and business partner who um, has been we've been working together uh, for uh, five years now and mm. um, we're very similar in many ways but very different in others and we just complement each other brilliantly. So if one of us is having an awful time we can the other can lift them up and vice versa. Yeah. And um you know, we come at things from quite different angles. So sometimes just getting out of your head and sharing that problem, getting a different perspective can can really help. Yeah, that's really powerful. I mean, the, the phrase you said there uh, about being vulnerable with the team, it's interesting, isn't it? Because the 60s or 70s when Steve, you know, was setting up her business, um, then leadership was all about, I know the right thing to do. We're going to go this direction. You don't question what I'm saying, this command and control type thing. Yeah. Um, and now I think it's different, isn't it? And leadership and entrepreneurship is, is about confidence, but confidence isn't about denial of what's going on. And there's this real 
interesting phrase that you used about vulnerability. How did you, I, I assume you, did you become vulnerable with your team and how did they respond when you did that? Yeah, I did. So I did, I certainly did with my team. Uh, we're a very small team, as you might imagine. There's basically three of us full time and then there's 25 in total, including all our tutors, but they're pretty uh, part time. Mm-hmm. And we champion flexible and remote working way b- before the pandemic. So I don't actually see many of them day to day. So I told my two senior colleagues who, who basically are in the management team with me, and they were incredibly supportive and continue to be because it's not a one way smooth street mm-hmm. um, coming back from something like that. And there are still days where I feel quite wobbly. Um, but I hope that by setting that example, um, they have felt able when they're having a tough time personally, something mm. going on in the family, um, that they can they can take the time they need, that they can just say, this is going on for me. Um, yeah. Can you just cut me a bit of slack? I'll make it. And I know they'll make up the time. Yeah. I mean, my, my operations and product, uh, head of ops and product, uh, her sister had a baby last week, uh, early, really early, oh, wow. unexpected. And you wouldn't know from her output anything has happened, but she actually mm. has like half her family camped out at her mum's house and she is looking after them all. Mm. But because we're mama codes, she's working when she needs to work. It's mostly via Trello and Slack and I know exactly what she's doing and she's being super transparent saying that I'm going to get to this on this day and this on this day. I know you're waiting for it. It'll be on that day. Anything else, let me know. Otherwise, just leave it to me. It'll get done. And I'm like, great, amazing. We'll leave you alone. We'll cancel the meetings because you don't need to be on Mm. a call at a certain time if you're dealing with that. Um, Productivity is amazing. So I hope that by leading by example in a way and, and, and yeah. being vul- really quite vulnerable. Um, it, it has engendered that culture, but I do, you know, there's a limit. I still worry about oversharing the detail or sharing with investors who, who may not be quite so, you know, uh, bought into that way of thinking mm. that, you know, actually, what do you mean the CEO is having a wobble and needs a day off? Um, that's not really very, you know, uh, that's not cricket uh, <laughs> reassuring <laughs> yeah. um so i think there's still a, a long way to go and i think um mm. I, I wouldn't blame them for having a bit of a mm. concern about that at least they'd want a um a plan b if, if yeah. you were to need to step away for a while but you yeah. know the long-term benefit of actually taking some time to work on problems that you've got to then show up so much stronger and so much more productive it's 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 a no-brainer really yeah it is and i think i mean the, the truth and the reality of life is when you when you lead people, a team of people, every single one of them at some point is going to go through something. There's going to mm. be problems. There's going to be obstacles. There's going to, be, and most of them are going to be unplanned. A bit like you know that you, you talked about the broom. You don't plan for that. It's not written in a script somewhere. You, you you don't ask for it. You know things knock you sideways. And I think how you care for people in those positions is really, really interesting. And I and my experience here is, if you personally as a leader have been through something, you don't have to have gone through what mm. they've been through, but if you've been through something, you tend to be a bit more empathetic and a bit more helpful. Um, more compassionate. Yeah, compassion is a great word, isn't it? And pastoral mm. maybe, um, you know, mm. that sort of caring. Because work is such a big part of your life. It is a big deal, you know, eight hours a day, um, if you're full-time on average, I suppose. But um, having someone that cares for you in that environment, I think is, is one of those unwritten rules of leadership that makes you actually quite remarkable. Uh, and I imagine, I mean, I don't know Steve, who you mentioned earlier, but I imagine in her life, that's probably one of the things that happened. 
um, because she'd struggled so much and she could help people along the way. And um, I, I think that's probably one of the secrets to her success. I'm just guessing. I don't know. Yeah, I, I imagine it would be. Um, and I think, you know, she also had a very uh, clear mission to level the playing field for women and give them the opportunities that they were mm. very clearly denied at that time. And things have moved on a bit now, obviously, but I still feel that's a large part of our mission. So we yeah. actually have um, over 70% of our tutors, coding tutor teachers are female and over 40% are from diverse backgrounds. So we're really trying to empower women yeah. to learn about uh, coding and tech skills mm. and then pass them on in their own communities um, mm. and give flexible working as well. So um, that is a, a huge part of what drives me is that empowerment piece. It's not just empowering the kids who are in our lessons, it's actually empowering yeah. the team and looking for other skills they want to learn so that by mm. joining us doing one thing, they may well actually be able to do two or three different things across yeah, the business. Yeah. I always look inside the business for anyone who I could bring into something that's an empty role or an empty project. Fantastic. And so what does, what does more look like, Leanne? I mean, you're, you know, you're, you're here, you're on the, you know, you're, you've got three full-time employees, you've got 25 staff overall, it's growing, coding's becoming a bigger and bigger deal. Um, boys and girls in the classrooms learning it, doing some great stuff, uh, making it accessible. So what, what does the future look like? What, what, does more, what does more look like for you? Yeah, so as you say, we've um, we've grown our live taught lessons. So we now have um, you know, dozens of lessons uh, of classes a week, and um, a fantastic kind of tribe of mama coder children learning learning on average, you know, at least a couple of terms. And uh, some of them stay with us for years because they can start mm. at three and go all the way up to eleven with different languages. Um, but there's a limit to how much you can grow a live taught model. So you need the tutors and the kids to be mm. r roughly in the same time zone a certain amount of money um yeah. per week uh, per child so really to take that next leap we have built an app which is going to allow kids to self-serve so it's aimed very boldly at the age group three to seven not can't bank on them being reading uh, fluently at that stage so sure. it is designed to allow them to um, teach themselves to code basically it's like duolingo yeah. for coding Mm. And it's voiced by kids so that they just narrate the instructions and things flash and pulse so they know what to tap. And we're super excited about it. So we're, we're at um, sort of alpha testing stage of that. And Fantastic. that's called Looparoo. Looparoo. And there's a free element. Yeah, there's, there's a free element. It's a freemium model. So do Google it, uh, L-O-O-P-A-R-O-O. -O -O. Mm -hmm. um, and it's fronted by some fantastic um, sort of non-gendered diverse mascot characters sort of Dora the Explorer type visuals and um, super excited about engaging lots of small kids, no matter their background, before any bias is set in about, you know, coding mm. and whether it's for them or what code looks like. Yeah. And to enable that launch and scale um, in UK first and then international, we are doing a fundraise. So we are doing a crowdfund on Cedars, um, followed by um, hopefully some angel investors. So if anyone's listening wants to get in touch, I'd love to speak to you. Um, so, yeah, that's going to take up the rest of this year. And then next year is going to all be all about scaling and launching, launching and scaling the app in uh, international markets. It's very mm. easy to adapt to the local um, language because it's not got a lot of text in it. And um, growing our growing our classes and alongside our commercial classes, we actually have quite a, a busy and growing strand around outreach classes. So we actually work with a lot of corporate sponsors to run free clubs for children either 
in their local mm. community or partner charities that they already work with as part of their CSR, mm. or they fund the, the charity partners we already have. Um, so that is really exciting as well. And it's another alternative model, particularly at times when it's been quite tough kind of asking parents with lots of budget pressures to, to shell out and particularly yeah. in these marginalized communities where, you know, you really do see the digital divide coming in. People don't have access to the uh, devices at home and the parents just can't stretch to it. This is a great way to make sure we're being more inclusive. And um, yes, yeah, so we'll be ramping that up as well. So again, if, you know, if you think that the company you work for or the company that you run might be interested in, in sponsoring some of that activity, um, mm. it's not very expensive and it can also be done through the app by sponsoring mm. places for that. So yeah, that's what's keeping me busy. That's what's in my in-tray. Wow. <laughs> Just a few bits and pieces. Yeah, there's no <laughs> shortage of stuff. And on top of all of this, you're moving two miles down the road. Yeah, yeah. Because, be you know, why would you not that extra? <laughs> why would you not add, add that extra? Yeah, yeah, challenge to yourself. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, Leanne, listen, we've got to that part of the show where I draw out from the question box, the questions. Okay. So are you ready you're for this? making me nervous now. Good. <laughs> 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 they're not good at all it's going to be fun i love this part of the show so uh you're going to say stop and we're going to read that question stop it's interesting how many people wait until the end uh it always intrigues me um okay so i want you to know this is where you told me to stop okay and then i suppose there's two ways to answer this question uh and i'll let you answer it whichever way you like uh, what do you and your partner most argue about? My mess. I'm very messy. <laughs> I'm a creative, borderline ADHD kind of, you know, <laughs> always distracted by the new exciting thing and not actually putting something away or, you know, tidying up. This is why this weekend's been quite a stress for me because I've had to tidy up the whole place and declutter our entire lives. <laughs> for four people but i'm trying to grow i'm trying to cultivate some ocd i'm trying to balance myself out i'm trying to get tidy in order to reduce the arguments i yeah, mean how's that, how's I that working i don't out blame for him you? for arguing <laughs> i don't blame him for arguing with me over it um i don't know you'd have to ask him i think it's working quite well there's yeah, always i'm always up for self-improvement you should see the books by my bedside you know how there's, to declutter your home is at the yeah, top. Yeah, how to declutter. There's a really interesting. I can't remember the name of the, the chap that wrote the book. There's an interesting book about willpower, and because like you, I've read a whole bunch of books over the years, and some some things stick, and then some things don't, and I didn't mm. quite understand why. So I remember reading the the book about willpower, which I thought was really eye opening, um, and explained why some things stick and some things don't with me, but. It's interesting listening to you instantly go to my mess because I've been married this year for 25 years. Um, my wife is an absolute, yeah, well, it's awesome. My wife is an absolute legend and it's a miracle she hasn't killed me yet. I mean, I'm going to be straight, right? Because I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I'm the easiest bloke to live with, uh, but she somehow has found a way. And over the years, I have got tidier. And I remember, um, I remember a few years ago, it must have been about 10 years ago because for the longest time in the house that we were in, Sharon and I, we didn't have a bed. We just had a mattress on the floor. And we didn't, um, the reason we didn't have a bed was not because I didn't want to get one because I like to make stuff part-time out of wood. I'm a bit of a woodworker. And so I'm going to make this uh -huh. bed. But in, I was in no one rush day. because, yeah. Yeah, one day, <laughs> I was in no rush because the kids were young and we used it as a, as like a, 
uh, a mat, a wrestling mat on the floor. Do you know what I mean? We could, we could fight and wrestle. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, eventually I made this bed and I just decided one day that every day when I got up, the first thing I would do is I would make the bed. Because um, we used to do this thing that the last person out of bed would make it. And I thought, no, 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 I'm going to bless my wife and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make the bed every day. And um, that was the start of me trying to be more tidy. <laughs> I do make the bed. I have to be honest with you. I have got into that. I do make it every day. Not sure about the rest of my tidiness. It's it's a tiny habits thing. So I've been testing out the, you know, it's like a TM, tiny habits method. Um, Mm -hmm. I signed up to a new coaching program, brilliant app-based coaching program called Prime Focus. I'd really recommend it. And uh, the first thing they get you to do is think of two or three things. I think it's two habits you want to try and add and one to lose but it has to be like triggered by a particular moment in your day or a sensation in your day. So mine were mm. the minute my feet hit the ground after I get up in the morning, I'm going to do a sun salutation because I love yoga. It keeps me really grounded. When I don't do it, things go wrong. I realize how valuable it is for me. And it's so easy just to be on the go and rushing everywhere all day. But if you just take that time, odds are you're going to do more than one. You can do something mm. else as well, five minutes. Um, but it's so easy to fit that in. And then you gain that confidence that you can change, you can mm. you can improve, you can get things going. And the other one was when I sit down for breakfast, I'm going to have at least half a glass of water because, again, I'm just not great at drinking enough water. Right. And everything else just sets you up for the day, those two things. It's also putting yeah. yourself first in a sort of busy parenting situation. And um, it's stuck. I think I'm on week three, but I'm really not someone who finds new habits that easy because I'm so mm. busy. I find it really hard to kind of sustain them. Mm. So, yeah, I think the tiny habits thing, just making it super, super small yeah. is really, really tiny good. Tiny habits like works really well. about your phone. Yeah, yeah, trying to put your phone away a bit more. I think the science is 28 days, isn't it, or 30 days or something like that. If you can do something for 30 days consistently, then yeah. the chances are excellent that you can actually make that stick for a long period of time. Maybe yeah. that explains why the bed But I think works. it's also about making it super small. Mm. So, you know, I always thought I need to do at least 10 minutes yoga before everyone gets up in the morning. And that's just not happened for years. But I can do a sun salutation because that's like 30 seconds. <laughs> okay, well, I, t- I, don't know what you, I don't know what that is. But yeah, no, no, it's, <laughs> I've just got First visions of, of me yoga. trying to get out of bed, <laughs> trying to put my foot around the back of my head and it's just going very no, wrong. <laughs> nothing like that. No. Just a little bit of a standing stretch. And then okay, very well, fair play. Very, very quick. Very yeah, easy yeah, to no, do. absolutely. I've actually just started getting up and um, the, now I journal uh, and write. Uh-huh. The very first thing I do uh, before I get shouted anything, I just write for half an hour. Just, I, don't know, I don't have an agenda when I write. There are some things that I need to do prep for, but some things I don't just get up and write. Super helpful. But yeah, Matt, fascinating. Great tip. Listen. Great tip. Yeah, it's been brilliant uh, having this conversation. Really enjoyed it. Super, super stoked by what you guys are doing over at Mamacos with the kids and the coding. I think it's brilliant. And well done to you and Steve for, you know, doing something in, in what is traditionally a male-dominated industry. I'm loving the stories, and it's, it's, it's great to hear. And, um, yeah, just keep, just keep inspiring because it's, it's, it's phenomenal. It really is. It's, it's brilliant. So, Thank you so much. And whenever I go into a class, if ever I need a bit of a pick-me-up, I just kind of go and watch one of the classes in action, and I see these tiny kids doing the most amazing complex things with a huge yeah. smile. And I'm like, right, that's why we're doing this. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. Yeah, it's, it's very inspiring to me as well. Yeah, absolutely. It's just funny, isn't it? And it'll just keep you going and this, the cycle perpetuates. And it's amazing when you're doing something that you're inspired by, how inspiring you become. Um, and I don't know mm. what, I don't know what starts it first. I don't, I don't 
I think if you're inspired by what you do, you become inspiring to others. But by inspiring others, maybe you also become inspired by what you do. And I, it's a catch-22. Anyway, I'm sure there's people out there that answer those questions. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, how do people reach you? How do they connect with you if they want to do that? What's the best way? Fantastic. So our website is a good place to start, www.mamma.codes. Um, there's free sessions, free taster sessions for any child aged that 3 to 11 on there. Um, and you can find out about our new app and get free early access to that as well. Um, you can find us on all the usual places, LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. And yeah, do get in touch. You can sign up to our free newsletter, Raising Digital Kids, and in due course, our podcast of the same name, where we try and really um, empower and educate mm. and support parents in all the wider themes around raising kids in this digital era, you know, online safety, mm. how to manage screen time, positive screen time options, such as coding or creating books or creating videos using tech rather than passive screen staring. So if you're interested or concerned about any of those issues, we've got lots of resources and free advice there. Love you to join our community. Fantastic. And that's at Mama Codes. Mama.codes. Mama.codes, yeah. www.mama.codes. Mama.codes. Awesome. Well, Leanne, listen, thank you so much for coming on to uh, the show and sharing your story. Genuinely, thank really, so really much. enjoyed it. No, it's been great. I, I've, I've loved every second of it. It's... Um, I feel like I could keep going, if I'm honest with you, uh, as I do with most of our guests. I feel like I just get to start to scratch, you know, start scratching the surface and there's like, oh, I could ask this question, this question. But, um, no, genuinely, it's <laughs> oh, well, been brilliant. That's, that's always a good sign. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, thanks again to Leanne for joining me. What a great conversation uh, that was. Really enjoyed it. Also, a big shout out to today's show sponsor, Orion Media. If you are wondering whether podcasting is a good marketing strategy for your business, do connect with them at orionmedia.com. That's A-U-R-I-O-N media.com. Now, be sure to follow Push To Be More wherever you get your podcast from because we've got yet more great conversations lined up. I don't want you to miss any of them. And in case no one has told you yet today, you are awesome. Yes, you are. Created awesome. It's just a burden you have to bear. Leanne has to bear it. I have to bear it. You've <laughs> got to bear it too. Now, Push To Be More is produced by Orion Media. You can find our entire archive of episodes on your favorite podcast app. The team that makes this show possible is Sadaf Bainon, Estella Robin, and Tanya Hutzlack. Our theme music is by Josh Edmondson. And as I mentioned, if you would like to read the transcript or show notes, head over to the website pushtobemore.com, where you can also sign up for our weekly newsletter and get all of this good stuff direct to your inbox, totally for free. So that's it from me. That's it from Leanne. Thank you so much for joining us. Have a fantastic week, wherever you are in the world. I'll see you next time. Bye for now.